So here we are again. And I'm getting really into the the heart of things, of the practice of the retreat together. And before I kind of go into the uh, Dharma reflections for this evening, just to mention um, about the optional groups, uh, that if you'd like to be in one, please fill out the form by the end of today. We will then take that down so that we can organize the groups and they will be up by the instructions for tomorrow. So they keep, they keep changing. So if you've noticed that you're in a group already on the notice board, just check again tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, from the, from the, from 9.30 or by 9.30, there'll be the, the final list up there. So today, my mic is buzzy. Oh, hold on. Might not be my mic. Let's see if this is better. Better? How's that? Buzzy? Less buzzy? Not buzzy. Okay, brilliant. So, uh, today we've been practicing with uh, seeing things as not peaceful, yeah, as dukkha, yeah, as unsatisfactory, yeah, and this is a, a practice, a way of looking, yeah, that kind of tunes in to the fact that nothing can give us lasting satisfaction, yeah. and the Buddha spoke a lot about this, you know, the ignorance, yeah, that we have as human beings. This is the the prison that Nathan was <laughs> talking about yesterday, yeah. This ignorance of seeking lasting, fixed and permanent satisfaction and happiness in that which cannot, cannot give it to us, yeah. Yeah, not because it's good or bad, but because it itself, yeah, is conditioned fabricated, yeah, made up of things that are themselves conditioned and fabricated. And also because it itself is changing, transient, inconstant, yeah, not fixed. And so kind of what happens when we look in this way, that all things are transitory and inconstant, all things uncertain, now that's the language that we use here, uncertainty, all things are uncertain, all things are inconstant, all things are changing, yeah, so you know we can reflect on different aspects of our experience through this way of seeing, the body changes, right, the body changes over time, yeah. Someone said to me recently that they came to sit a retreat with us uh, because they liked our photos on the website. <laughs> and then she said to me, but you know, you look a lot older than in your photo. Yeah. And it was, yes, that's really true, my photos. <laughs> I don't like having my photograph taken, so I end up with these really old photos on, on all these websites. Yeah. I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years old. 
So the body changes. It's not the same. And our mind states, our moods, our emotions change. We can just reflect this morning. (laughs) What was my mind state? You know, at lunch, what was my mind state? You know, during that one sitting, yeah, whether good or bad, what was my mind state? (laughs) And is it the same? Yes, we can see everything is changing and yet we keep forgetting that so we keep needing to remind ourselves yeah the earth is changing yeah it's not just us also our environment yeah so we're really in the uk right now we're really enjoying this you know summer yeah who thought (laughs) i wasn't here in april but i heard it was really cold and then in may it really rained a lot yeah and if we reflect back on those times, at that time it feels it's always like this. And it's always going to be like this. And yet we know, yeah, and we need to remind ourselves, no, the earth itself is changing. The seasons change, the day changes. Yeah. So we can see this in different timescales, different resolutions. Yeah. And our habit is to keep forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> to keep uh, ignoring, to keep disconnecting from this. And, you know, the habit is there because we see dukkha in the change. We don't want to come close. But actually, when we really reflect on our experience, where is the dukkha? Where is the suffering? Is it in that things change or is it in our relationship to that yeah is it in our relationship to that yeah so you know let's look at something you know that (laughs) i'm sure most of us have had on the retreat yeah kind of sometimes something that comes with retreat physical discomfort yeah maybe some of you have been discomfort and pain-free very happy for you (laughs) If that's been the case. But for most of us, yeah, some of the time, a lot of the time, there is discomfort in the body. It comes with holding a body still yeah. when it's made for movement. <laughs> it comes with that body. And so when we look at our habitual way yeah, of responding to pain, yeah, how we see it through our habits of reactivity, it becomes... Um, solidified yeah both in essence there's only pain or this is just pain yeah or it's all pain and also over time yeah this will always be here yeah this will always be here yeah and it is always here i always have pain (laughs) when i meditate yeah that's what our mind does it kind of colors it all with that particular perception yeah, fixed, unchanging, painful and solid. So can we see the arrows here <laughs> that Nathan was describing so beautifully and reading from the Sutta yesterday? Yeah? The distress, the despair, the despondency that arises. And then what happens when we look at it differently? Yeah? When we look at, you know, say, discomfort in the body or pain in the body, and we see it as simply as dukkha, simply as unsatisfactory. Yeah? Does anything change? Yeah? 
And we've heard for some of us, some of the time or a lot of the time, a lot changes. Yeah? A lot changes. Yeah? Because there's some space. Yeah? And so maybe the, there's a little bit of space. Yeah? And so there's a little bit less dukkha. Then maybe that there's a lot more space. And there's a lot less dukkha. Yeah? So there's some space. In that increased spaciousness, there's a letting go of reactivity and resistance. Yeah. Which opens up the space even more. Yeah? Opens up the space even more. And expands awareness. Yeah? I'm doing this because it expands awareness in the body, but it what I'm trying to say with expand awareness here, and I had to write it down for myself so I remember this really important point. It expands what we are aware of. Yeah, so expands awareness in that sense as well. Expands what we are aware of. Yeah, not just aware of the pain, capital letter, even bold, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, but we're aware, yeah, that this is dukkha. Yeah, this is unsatisfactory. This is not peaceful. Yeah, and so this expansion of what we are aware of, yeah, can expand to a degree of not dukkha. Of non-dukkha, yeah. and I'm really I'm I'm saying it that way <laughs> because that shift, yeah, from dukkha to non-dukkha is enough. Yeah, who cares about bliss? Yeah, <laughs> let's just get let's just have non-dukkha. You know, let's just have non-dukkha. I'll take it. Yeah. So that can expand, yeah, from some space, a little bit of space, some letting go of reactivity and resistance. Space opens up more, expands what we are aware of, yeah, and that brings more and more yeah, degrees of non-dukkha. And we can rest in that, yeah. That's really important, <laughs> to rest into that non-dukkha, to rest into whatever degree of release and relief comes from the practice, any practice, not just the practice that we did today, but very much uh, with these kind of practices, yeah, insight practices. So this opens up more and more possibilities and highlights yeah, so much how significant the way of relating is to experience. Yeah? The way of relating shapes our experience. So we can see things as, yeah, we can see things as dukkha, we can see pain as dukkha, or discomfort as dukkha. We can also see it as a nietzsche. Yeah? It's another way of relating, another way of seeing. We can see it as changing, as transient, as inconstant, because of course it is. <laughs> and often I say this, and people come back to me and it says, and they say, no, actually it's not, yeah. It doesn't go away. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so let's look a little bit more. Yeah. Because we look at things as a Nietzsche and A, we want them to go away. That's one thing that Nathan touched on. You know, we're making deals. This is what we call deal making. <laughs> and look at you as something so that you disappear, which often then does the opposite, actually makes it stronger because that's a form of uh, resistance. But also, we only look at there, not there. Yeah? 
a Nietzsche as in it's there or it's gone. Yeah? But we can also look at things as changing, transient and constant within themselves. Yeah? So there's a sensation we're labeling pain yeah? or discomfort. But within it, is it constant? Is it the same? Yeah. And, you know, this is incredible because <laughs> we can pay attention, we can see the sensations are changing. Yeah? Maybe in intensity, maybe in texture, maybe in temperature. Yeah? Maybe they flicker. Yeah? So they're there and they're not there. They're there and they're not there. And when we can see that, yeah, changing, yeah, inconstant, yeah, what happens? We tune into that, we look that way, again possibilities open up. A, it becomes interesting. Yeah. At least for me. I might be, you know, the only weird one um, here. It becomes interesting. Yeah. And suddenly, instead of being something steady, the same, we can see, ah, change, yeah. and that, we like change, <laughs> yeah, as human beings. Yeah. So possibilities open up, it becomes interesting, it might even become enjoyable. Yeah. And this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So something that was unpleasant, we bring in interest, yeah. we see, we explore how it appears, yeah. We get intimate with it, and it might even become enjoyable to some degree. Yeah. So through these ways of looking, yeah, we're changing how we relate to experience. And from that comes relief. Yeah. From that comes um, ease. The reduction of clinging. Yeah, that's where, what, what does the relief come from? The reduction of clinging, the relaxation of contraction, and with it, the softening, the softening of the solidity of things. So, clinging, craving, contraction, dukkha, they all come with a sense of solidity. Solidity of what? Solidity of the object. Yeah. In this case, I'm just keeping with this example of pain. And also fixedness and solidity of moi, the sense of self. I, me and mine. Yeah. So when dukkha eases off and relaxes, when contraction eases off and relaxes, when clinging and craving ease off and decrease. Also the self-sense softens, opens. And this, uh, this is really something, yeah, to see this relationship and to see the possibilities in it. So all of these, when the self-sense goes down, when contraction goes down, when craving and clinging go down, when dukkha goes down, they all increase well-being. Yeah? They impact each other, and as they go down, well-being increases. Yeah. So hopefully, 
hopefully you're getting interested in this already by now. I've been doing my best to sell these practices to you. So this is true for all of us. Yeah? It's true for all of us. All, all beings. Yeah. And so it's a shared, yeah, a shared thing that is true for all of us. All beings, including um, non-human beings. Yeah. The relief in the acknowledgement yeah, that this meeting with uncertainty of life, yeah, meeting with the uncertainty of our lives, the meeting with, um, you know, what arises in us, the wish for stability, the wish for safety, the wish um, to be free of pain and distress, yeah? This is true for all beings. And I really want to emphasize that, not just human beings. And we can turn towards these aspects of our experience through that lens, yeah? This is true for all of us. Yeah. That shift from mine to ours, really significant. And I'm saying this um, because uh, I want to also read a sutta um, this evening. And the sutta is called uh, the Upajatana Sutta translated as subjects for contemplation and um, often translated as the daily recollections. Yeah, some of you know this, this sutta. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And often it's, you know, the sutta says, contemplate, yeah? recollect, remember, think about that which we all share, yeah? but that we really don't like to think about <laughs> or look at. Okay, so I'm going to read the sutta and I am going to encourage you as you listen, yeah, to listen with as much compassion, as much metta, as much tenderness, yeah, as much softening as you can yeah, to these words. So there are these five facts that one should reflect on often. Whether one is a woman or a man, lay or ordained, which five? I am of the nature to grow old, have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to have ill health, have not gone beyond illness. I am of the nature to die, have not gone beyond death. All that is dear to me and everyone that I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. These are the five facts that one should reflect on often, whether one is a woman or a man, lay or ordained. Yeah. Now, the sutta continues, why? <laughs> why should one reflect on this? Yeah. 
Based on what line of reasoning should one often reflect? I am of the nature to grow old, have not gone beyond aging, etc. There are beings who are intoxicated with the typical youth's intoxication with youth. Here's the explanation. Yeah, there are beings that are intoxicated with the typical youth's intox intoxication with youth. Because of that intoxication, they conduct themselves in a bad way, in body, in speech and in mind. But when they often reflect on that fact, that youth's intoxication with youth will either be entirely abandoned or grow weaker. So that intoxication that leads us to act in a bad way, in an unwholesome way, in body, in speech and in mind. Now, here's the disciple of the noble ones again. Do you remember them from, from yesterday? <laughs> now, a disciple of the noble ones considers thus. I am of the nature to grow old, have not gone beyond aging, beyond illness, beyond death, beyond loss. To the extent that there are beings, past and future, passing away and re-arising, all beings are of the nature to grow old, have not gone beyond aging, beyond illness, beyond death, beyond loss. When he or she reflects thus, the factors of the path take birth. He or she sticks with that path, develops it, cultivates it. As they stick with a path, develop it and cultivate it, the fetters are abandoned, the obsessions destroyed. Yeah. So I love the sutta because um, that encouragement yeah, to reflect on that which for most of us is the most difficult to reflect on yeah. and to reflect on it with metta and compassion and to reflect on it with clarity and intelligence. Yeah. Why? Yeah? Why reflect on this? Because when we don't, yeah, then we become unskillful. Yeah, when we forget that this is true for all of us, we become unskillful in our actions, yeah, in our thoughts and in our speech. And when we remember to reflect on it, we also remember this is true for all of us. Yeah. This turning towards our shared experience. Yeah. Remembering this is true for all of us. Yeah. And then it becomes a support. Yeah. This reflection on uncertainty in the deepest way yeah, becomes a support rather than um, something that uh, we fear yeah. or that depletes us. So there's such relief, I find, in that acknowledgement, and I've heard it from some of you here as well, that acknowledgement of this is ours. Yeah, this pain in the body, this um, difficult loss, yeah, this grief, yeah. this aging, this impending death, yeah. hours, yeah. all of ours. And so working with these, yeah, working with uncertainty, working with these particular aspects of uncertainty in our lives is a process, yeah, really helpful to remember. It's a process, it's an undertaking, it's a training and a practice that we take on. Mm. And I want to share here um, 
a take on the recollections. Yeah, and, and just to, I, I love this one. It's from my friend Caroline Jones, who's also a Guy House teacher, also teaches um, currently in the US. Um, and she, in her process of working with these, she came up with her own words. And I just want to offer her recollections because they're both so beautiful in themselves. Um, and also they show us what happens yeah, when we chew on this, when we explore it, when we reflect on it comes our own. So if you remember, I'll read the, I mean the original is not, is also not completely original, it's a mishmash that I've made from different translations, <laughs> but I'll read my mishmash of different translations and, uh, and then I'll read Caroline's. So the original, so-called, is, I am of the nature to grow old, I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to have ill health have not gone beyond illness. I am of the nature to die, have not gone beyond death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. And Caroline says, breathing gently, I lovingly remember, this body is aging. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember, this body is vulnerable to illness. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember, this body will die. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember, loss is part of life. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember, to meet this moment with wisdom. So meeting uncertainty you know, with wisdom and compassion. Yeah. This is our practice. This is our journey. This is our life. Mm. Nothing is fixed. It's all changing, dynamic, inconstant. Can we see yeah, the possibility in that? Can we see the opportunity in that? Can we explore yeah. our humanity, our aliveness, our beingness, and use, yeah, turn on its head that, that which we fear, yeah. from something we're afraid of to a gateway to freedom? Yeah. If everything changes, yeah, and does not last. Mm. It means that it is also changeable. Yeah. And how often we forget that. <laughs> Everything is in constant, conditioned, yeah. put together. If it does not last, it means that it is also changeable. It means that we can attend to experience in ways that free, that liberate the heart and mind into more well-being. Not just this heart and mind, even, 
in ways that liberate, in ways that free. It's a reminder yeah. that awakening is possible. I like to say that sentence, awakening is possible, and then even for me. <laughs> yeah, how much we need to hear that. Yeah? A reminder that awakening is possible even for me. Yeah? Even for me in my deepest shadows. It's possible. Our practice opens us up to this. The more we practice, the more pliable and flexible the heart-mind becomes. The more pliable and flexible the heart-mind becomes, the more changeable it is. The more meta compassion and joy we develop, the more equanimity we develop, yeah? the safer we feel to explore, even to the edges of our comfort zones. And the more we explore, the safer we feel. Yeah. The more possibilities open up for us. So there's a beautiful story in the tradition about the origin of meta practice. Yeah. And I love it because it's a it's a story about fear. <laughs> yeah. And so a group of monks, and we'll say a group of monks and nuns. Yeah. I, uh, I have to tell this. This is a, a little, a little uh, break from, from the talk. Uh, I have a good friend who's a Pali scholar. And I recently talked with her <laughs> in Israel. And I couldn't resist talking about the Buddha in the feminine. And I knew it would really annoy her. <laughs> So we had an ongoing like joke going on in the meditation hall that I'm now sharing with you about is it or is not allowed to to change yeah to change the gender of the Buddha if that feels right <laughs> um, anyway so we will say monks and nuns yeah so a group of monks and nuns went off to practice. In the Buddha's time, uh, they would go off uh, for three months during the monsoon, during the rains, to do a longer retreat in one location. Usually they would be um, traveling around from place to place, homeless. And they went to a forest, um, which seemed very, uh, very suitable for a long retreat, somewhere in the, in the Himalayas. And they were really inspired to practice. They'd gotten some good teachings. And so they um, decided to start the retreat and began. And it turned out that the forest that they were practicing in was already the home of somebody else. Yeah. It was the home of some tree spirits. Mm. And after a little while, the tree spirits were not so happy that the monks and nuns had taken over their home. So they decided to scare them off, and being spirits, they had plenty of uh, ways to do that. So they made lots of scary sounds and bad smells, and maybe even some you know, scary visions. Um, and the monks and nuns were like, well, we can't meditate like this. <laughs> These aren't suitable conditions. So they went back to the Buddha. Mm. 
and said to the Buddha, what do we do? Like, can we go somewhere else or can you come and deal with these spirits? What can we do? And the Buddha said to them, go back to where you were. Go back to the same place. Don't be afraid. If you want to be free from this harassment, then uh, practice a different practice. And he offered to them the metta practice, which they then learnt by heart and practiced. And when they came back to that same place, they continued to practice, uh, but this time they didn't practice mindfulness and vipassana, they practiced metta. And the tree spirits were uh, so touched, so moved, so impressed (laughs) by this practice that they decided to not only stop harassing the monks and nuns, but to actually support them through the through the retreat. So they uh, made sure they had enough food and shelter and everything that they needed for this time. And I love I love this story because um, it encourages us to meet. Yeah, to meet fear and to meet that which we're afraid of in ways that can transform experience. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get rid of that which we're afraid of. We don't need to get rid of uncertainty in our lives. We don't need to get rid of death yeah. or ill health or aging or loss. Of course, we can't get rid of them, <laughs> but we also don't need to. We can meet the uncertainty of our lives with wisdom, with metta, with compassion, with joy, with equanimity. We can allow and acknowledge that we are not in control. We are not in control. We can open to the painfulness of that. And we can also open to the beauty and possibility of it. We're not in control. And yet there's so much that we can do. Isn't that the story of life? We're not in control. And yet there is so much that we can do. Everything changes and therefore is changeable. Freedom. Freedom beckons us. So we have the opportunity to respond with wholesomeness and skillfulness to this human condition. I keep saying human condition. (laughs) To this condition of being a sentient being. It's not just human. We have the opportunity, we have the possibility to respond with wholesomeness and skillfulness to this condition of being a conditioned being. Subject to a nature subject to uncertainty. We have the opportunity to respond with wholesomeness and skillfulness to this moment. We're all subject to illness, to aging, to death and to loss. That is certain. That's certain. The time and form of it is uncertain. So what can we rely on? What can we rely on if it is all unreliable, inconstant, transitory, uncertain. 
Remember there was a fifth recollection? It gets, it gets kind of, the other ones kind of, and then we almost miss it. So here's the fifth. My deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. The ground on which I stand. My deeds, my actions, my choices, my words, my thoughts. And even more than the deeds, the intention. Yeah? The intention behind them. This is the Dharmic understanding. Yeah? We cannot control yeah, the outcome of our actions. But we can give our energy, we can give our love, we can give our wisdom to our intentions so that they are wholesome, that they are skillful, that they are benevolent for ourselves and for others. So our deeds are our closest companions, our intentions, the closest. We are the beneficiaries of our deeds. And they are the grounds, on, the ground on which we stand. Yeah. Our ability to respond yeah. keeps coming back to that possibility and ability to respond. To remember that we are walking this path. Yeah. That we are walking this path together that we are walking this path for the development of wisdom and compassion, that we are walking this path for the benefit of all, for the benefit of all. So I think that's probably enough for this evening. And um, it's always hard for me to stop talking about the fifth recollection. (laughs) But I think Nathan will probably carry on in some way with it tomorrow. So our deeds are our closest companions. We are the beneficiaries of our deeds. Our deeds are the ground on which we stand. So let's take a a moment of silence together to bring this to a close. Keep meeting uncertainty with courage, wisdom and compassion. May we find support and ground in the beauty and the nobility of our intentions. And may our practice be a benefit and a, and a of welfare to 
all beings in all directions. So thank you for your listening and your practice. We'll take some time for walking practice now and then come back for uh, the final sitting together. And uh, I think we'll put links to the sutta, the names of the suttas that we've used uh, on the notice board at the end of the retreat. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.